Paul Jelly is a uh, friend of mine, and uh, he's the pastor of the New Testament Church of uh, Cedarville uh, that I attended yesterday. And uh, he is also uh, one of the guys. You're not. Are you the head guy of the Plymouth Rock Foundation? Yeah, president. Yeah. Plymouth president. Rock Foundation. Um, and you tell me your story quickly. You you grew up here. Actually, I grew up in New Jersey, but uh, my father, I was born in Massachusetts, but then my father, uh, who was a pastor, he uh, moved us back here into uh, New England and Massachusetts. Cause you don't so have I attended that... high school here in, uh, in Massachusetts. You don't have that chowder no. kind of, no, which is right. really heavy around here. <laughs> um, so you, um, uh, you got engaged with the, the pilgrims when you were young. And I was thinking about this the other day. We've almost lost everything about the pilgrims. I mean, it's, they're just, they're images now, maybe, maybe on a storefront or a McDonald's or something like that. And even that image isn't necessarily accurate with the buckles and, the, <laughs> right. and all the black hats. Right. And, and, um, uh, these guys, they came over here uh, for uh, a couple of reasons, and they changed the world. They really changed the world. Can you tell the story of of the pilgrims? Sure. I mean, when I first when I first was uh, given some primary source documents and books on the pilgrims by my mentor, my initial mentor John Talcott, here in Plymouth, I told him I don't really like history, so I, no, thank you. Yeah. And then, of course, when he looked at me and he said, "No, you really should read this." Uh, then I started to read it, and I think what amazed me was to read the literary prose of William Bradford, to read the diary, Mort's relation, to eventually then read Good News from New England by Edward Winslow, and and these different books. When you're reading this, you're realizing, "Gee, this this is their words. This is exactly what they believed." And it was nothing I'd ever learned in high school, nothing I'd ever learned in elementary school. They were very learned people. If I'm not mistaken, right. William Bradford brought more books over than than were originally that started uh, Harvard. Right. I mean, they had, they had hundreds of books on. And when you think about on the, the small, Mayflower, on the Mayflower, when you think of the small amount of space you had to for your family right. for clothes and think about it, you're taking everything that you're going to own over here and you can't take very much. You have maybe a small spot and you're going to bring a books and uh, and books in Latin and uh, Portuguese and well, Spanish. 400 and, uh, books was an enormous, enormous library. Yeah, enormous. And enormous. the thing is, and, and here you had them uh, very literate, uh, and they were very ideological. One of the things is they were really wrestling with ideas, ideas that would have tremendous consequences. Now, like anyone else, they did not probably, they couldn't foresee what kind of ideas would do in consequences, but they knew they had to deal with those because ideas do have consequences and they change history. So they are over their English and they're over in England and um, the Reformation is just starting where before you couldn't read the Bible um, yourself in your own native tongue. You had to go to a priest. Um, it was the Anglican church. Uh, that was really a government, you know, the the king or the queen is the is the head of the, church. James is the head of church right and um and heresy any time you were standing against it, you were burned at the stake so they leave and they go to holland right right and you know the pilgrims the interesting part about it is they initially wanted to be able to get along like anybody else and do the best that they could but even john robinson who became their leader he was the uh, pastor of an anglican congregation in fact he started to see his ideas 
for following the scriptures just conflicted with the hierarchy. And the whole idea of determining whether someone is a heretic or not was all done by, uh, backed by the state and backed by uh, this, this whole idea that uh, you, you had the terrible consequences if you disagreed. And, and here are these ideas that would eventually bring great liberty of conscience and civil liberty beyond just religious liberty. And yet at the same time, um, it would take years to do that. So here you have these individuals wrestling with it. One of John Robinson's big wrestling matches when he was pastoring an Anglican church, uh, he said, he said, why, he used this kind of poetic language, why the church is married to the state. Mm-hmm. It's not married to Christ. Mm-hmm. It has no freedom. Mm-hmm. And he you actually couldn't say encouraged. that Christ led the church uh, right. because it, the king did. Exactly. Right. And, and the king, and especially King James, was very learned. Uh, he said, when I speak, it's the law. I'm speaking. I'm speaking to you by the power of the Holy Spirit, and uh, you know you have to beware when someone says they're speaking speaking by the power of the Holy Spirit, and they also have the sword backing them up. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and and force, yeah. and that's that's hardly voluntary. Usually, just, the ones know, who speak for the Spirit are the the uh, the ones like King or Gandhi, Jesus, somebody who's really, really not a friend of power. Exactly, you know and I mean? and and will eventually decentralize power. Correct, and, and that's what is so threatening. And so you have these these pilgrims, and they begin to wrestle with this. John Robinson, when he debates with the Anglican bishops after he's even left and gone to Holland and into eventually into Leiden, uh, he would reason this way and say, "Wait a minute, uh, this is not the way it is. The government actually." comes from the inside out. It's actually self-government mm-hmm. that's the rule. And this is just, this is threatening the power and the this hierarchy. Is, this is 150 years before we're around. Oh, I mean, right. before I mean, the, I mean, this is the germ of the idea of And you America. have to realize that now these pilgrims, when they're reasoning together and being taught by John Robinson to think and reason from principles, it's, uh, they're only a small, tiny remnant that's mocked, and they're called separatists because they're mocking them, not because they're complimenting them. Uh, they're the ones who would separate from the church. In fact, uh, the interesting thing, when you read the bishop's writings and letters to them, he said, uh, why God has given you such grace and such benefit and, and liberty granted to you by the king, why do you throw that all away and start original thinking and mm-hmm. thinking on your own. This whole idea that to think and to reason, to come up with ideas that others may not have held was just anathema. So it doesn't seem like they were thinking people because they, they're growing in Holland. Things are going fairly well for them. They have about 500 people, you know, 400, maybe 325 in their church in Leiden. Okay. So they have, you know, that's, that's, it's growing. Uh, and, uh, for some reason, you know, we had Tim Ballard here this weekend and he was, uh, he just came back from Leiden in Holland and, uh, was talking to the scholars there and they said, well, they probably left because, you know, there was a recession coming. They didn't come here for a recession. Why would you leave your home that was comfortable because of a recession, even a war, when you were coming to America and it was almost certain death? Yeah, you know, you think about the the reasons, and Bradford gives the reasons in his Old Plymouth Plantation, and they talk about the truce was ending with Spain by uh, 1620. 
And that was a big problem because uh, they were in Leiden and that when that truce would end, there would be more problems with the Spanish. Also, not only was that a problem, but they said their, their children were getting on in their years. They were getting older. Uh, but the, the real crux of why they came, Bradford gives in this poetic phrase, he said, lastly, but which was not least, in fact, this was the most important, a great zeal they had of propagating and advancing the gospel of the kingdom of Christ into those remote parts of the world. Yea, though we would be even as stepping stones unto others for the performing of so great a work. Think about that phrase. It's written later. Bradford writes it about 10 years afterwards, about 1630, probably a little later than that. And yet you see the, um, the looking at this whole situation. They were coming for a motive to advance the gospel of the kingdom. And, and it was different than, for instance, there was an argument in the 1850s between uh, those who said, really, Jamestown was the cornerstone of America, and others that said it was Plymouth. And Jamestown was a religious group as well. They had some, they had some very strong pastors, right. Pastor Hunt and others that came. Right. They had some real characters on that, that Right, and it, well. was, it, was a, it, it was to come for God, but also come for gold and, and everything else. Right. This one was not coming for gold. Well, you think of the difference. The difference, because we like to point out both the positive and both. You, both had, you had a national experience with a national religion being planted in Jamestown. Mm -hmm. You have something very local, very uh, personal and intimate here in Plymouth. Beyond local, it's, it was it's familial. familial. It was, it was all about families. But also you recognize that here in Plymouth, this was a church plant. You see, in Jamestown, it was a national plant. It was a replica of the, the state church. And though they did have the, their assembly in 1619, there are a lot of things that take place in Jamestown prior to Plymouth, and they have a lot of firsts. What we have in Plymouth is unique because um, this is where this was a church plant. Without the Leiden congregation sending about 75 people, over to the New World, and not even 75 were able to come. Some re returned when the speedwell was springing leaks, being overmasted by the captain, and what at least what, from what Bradford has written that they, they believe happened. That um, they came here, uh, so their, their hunger for religious purposes, and you have to look at the wider context of history at the time. All the explorations that are taking place at the time, uh, whether it's the Portuguese, Spanish, or anyone else, is under this doctrine of discovery, which is basically you go in and you take over the land, you take over the people, and then you dominate them, make them your slaves, and then introduce Christ. <laughs> well, this is, this is now because they're so dependent on you. There was this, this conquering mode where you have the, the pilgrims and Robinson's teaching of them. Uh, now, they're not going to stop on any exploration like this. You're going to have some hotheads on your group. You're going to have. Right, and there was a group on the, on the Mayflower called the Strangers. Yeah, they were not part of the Leiden congregation, but the Leiden congregation is the one pioneering the motive for coming. And that motive is to serve, that motive is to bless, that motive uh, is something that was. Uh, uh, trained into them. It was a different, it was a remnant movement. So I want to I take a quick break and then we're going to come back and start there because this was a socialist idea. At first it was a socialist idea and they had a ton of firsts here in America that were really important that if we know about them today, we can correct the path that we're on. We're um, at the Leiden, the Leiden House uh, now in Plymouth, Massachusetts, and I, I, I'm here for a reason, and that is the 400th anniversary of the landing of the Pilgrims is happening in 2020. 
There's some events going on that I want you to know about. Next week, there is this amazing parade put on by the uh, Plymouth Rock Foundation. Uh, and uh, it's, it's history as it has traditionally been told and is really uh, being lost. And they started this about 20 years ago, and it has exploded. There's about a quarter of a million people now that come into this town, little teeny town, just for this parade. And if you're anywhere near the area next week, you need to come. So, Paul, they, the pilgrims uh, land here uh, in Plymouth, and, um, and it's a small little boat. I mean, it's, it's shocking. There's no way That's you'd, be, you'd never get me on that boat to go across the... You'd be like, are you crazy? Right. Was that a big boat for the time? Not necessarily a big one, probably an average-sized merchant vessel. Uh, they Remember, they, they bought another boat that was even smaller than that called the Speedwell, right. which is uh, a smaller boat carried maybe 20 or 30 people rather than the 70 or 80 on the Mayflower. And then they lose the Speedwell. It has to be sold for much less than they bought it. And out of Plymouth, England, they come. And, of course, Plymouth, Mass. was not named after Plymouth, England. But the point is that, because that had already been named by uh, John Smith and uh, other explorers here. But the point is, here they're coming over here and uh, crammed on 102 passengers plus the crew. Um, a tiny, tiny bunk bed, small, single bed for two people. One person gets sick. Everybody gets sick. you got 66-day voyage. It's rocking 20 to 25 degrees. The Mayflower was designed to roll water off, not keep water off the deck. So you're, you're getting seawater. Oh, it, it's, it's constant. Gosh. And so it, it, it had it's no be. picnic. And for women and children to go, this is the thing that makes uh, so many firsts. You mentioned firsts. Well, here's, here's, a, here's one of the firsts that you had women and children go on this voyage, not just any women. These are wives and children. These are families, 24 family units that come on the Mayflower. The idea that families are a part of this is what makes the story significant. That's why we tell people, if you want something unique and come back in 2020 for this event we're doing June 28 to 30, there's events all year long uh, sponsored by the town and others to come. You're going to see family. Family was so important to them. These were covenanted families. Here's another first. Here's a church that covenanted among each other accountability without state permission. This is a church that existed because individuals want to covenant and combine themselves together in their church. And that's why they covenanted and combined themselves into the civil body politic with the writing of the Mayflower Compact. Another first. And they covenanted themselves not only to God, but to each other. Like when they right. first hired, uh, uh, who was the... Miles Standish. Miles Standish. They... They hired him, right? and then they got together and voted to make sure, right? They wanted to vote because they wanted to make sure it was by consent. See, in other words, is this, the house, this is the house where there are near this is the, the site, near the site, the property where that probably took place. Yeah. Right, where they exactly. voted. Yeah. And the interesting thing is here are people who are reasoning from the scriptures the best they know, and they are coming up with new ideas. And they're saying, you know, it doesn't have to be done the way it's been done before. Everything's just appointed from the top. We can make those decisions. Uh, not only that, there's a, not just a first with a church covenanted group coming across the mm -hmm. ocean covenanted families coming with women and children and then drawing up their own government a self-government act on board the ship before they land knowing they're off course but then you you have them land and even here now they're voting on individuals and they're voting here's the interesting part about it we're talking about a jurisdictional separation of church and state here you don't have to be a member of the pilgrim church to vote in the commonwealth that's unheard of 
you know, the Puritans would tend, and you can understand it. I don't criticize uh, when you're outside the context of history. It's really easy to throw stones when mm-hmm. you're many years later. But here, these Puritans, it was very easy. They had the king as the head of the church. Well, they didn't like that because there's a major persecution. But a lot of Puritan groups had come to America and they just reverse it. Now mm-hmm. the church is the head of the state. And you get persecuted. If you're not a member of the church, you can't vote. You're disenfranchised. Well, the pilgrims had something unique. Here's this tiny group that's reasoning for themselves. And there's another first. Here you have the seed, the germ of the First Amendment. No, it's not in flowery form. You're not going to see all the, all the uh, bells and whistles, so to speak, that are going to come out later. But here among this tiny group, because they're reasoning, they're thinking together, they are um, researching. It's the tip of revival. When you study revival... You see, a revival in England was called the revival of hearth and home. It was the revival of reading the Bible around the fireplace. The Geneva Bible was published in 1560. First Bible small enough to carry. First Bible cheap enough to own. First Bible with chapters and verses. Study notes. The people are studying the Bible. We take it for granted today. We have five Bibles, six Bibles in our houses. Mm-hmm. We don't even read half of them. Mm-hmm. But the point is, here they are, this is really important. So in little huts in the wilderness, they're reading the Bible. And so these are these first that are pioneering events. A peace treaty with the natives, that was part of their whole idea. So we're going to get to the peace treaty and the, the free market system, which was right. developed here. And the peace treaty in this room, the fireplace, you ever see the etching of that peace treaty? This is the fireplace we're sitting in front of that they were standing in You're front of. All right. Uh, welcome back to the uh, program. I'm talking to Paul uh, Jaley. He is um, he is the pastor of the New Testament Church uh, of Cedarville, and i I went to a couple of um, a couple of churches yesterday. Yours was one of them. Mm-hmm. I just love your congregation, and I love your sermons are unbelievable. Um, and it's just you're centered around service. Mm-hmm. You know, so That's many. Right. Gandhi said, I, I love this Jesus of yours. I just don't necessarily like his followers. Uh, and he also said, I, uh, the Bible is such a great book. More Christians should read it. Uh, uh, and it's kind, of, it's kind of like that. And we miss the fact that it's all it's supposed to be about service. That's right. That's and I, I kind of want to talk to you about that, about what sure. you're doing here, because you've changed this community through service, just loving people. Not preaching to people, not right. trying to do anything, just love them. Um, but let, let me first go back to the founders, because I want to get the part, uh, not the founders, but the uh, pilgrims. I want to get the part that they came here. The house next door to this one, this is plot number one, this house, the first street really in America. Um, and the house next door, or one up from that, is the, what they call it, the common house? or Yeah, the common house is just actually one probably located a little bit further toward the waterfront no it's it's marked on but, that house yeah it's marked on the wall of this house but of course the, the original sites are difficult to Those determine but this is the liars in the land. historic society <laughs> <laughs> no that so it's, it's it's right here in this area yeah. the critical thing to recognize is that when the uh, pilgrims did come here they were seeking they already had two documents on board of course giving them permission from england to come over here but then they had their mayflower compact and then their the peace treaty that they desired to have peace with the natives uh, that's important to know but also they are they are also pioneers they they had 
they were under this contract with the financiers. And it's interesting to note that the Puritans preached against profit as a sin. Uh, they said, look, if you want to make money, that's kind of like a sin because they had they had uh, adopted the European way, which was the common field. Now, the common field in England was simply the fact that if you own cows, I own cows, you own cattle, I own cattle. They all graze in a common field. It's mm-hmm. not my field, not your field. It's our field. It's It's kind of like grazing land now with the government out west. <laughs> And the town squares, which is very New England, if you had if you had cows and you couldn't feed them, you could go take them to the right. town. But green. here's the problem I found: some cows eat more than others. Yeah, and uh-huh. uh, and oh, we got That's a weird. problem There's here. People like that too. And so this common field was something they all inherited. But Bradford here, he makes this comment that he said, "Boy, when we got here, we're starving, uh, and, and we were thinking we're wiser than God." And uh, this is you had women have to. Uh, uh, go and wash the clothes of someone else's, uh, you know, husband, and because there were only four women left after the spring, uh, by the after time that first spring, winter, right? Yeah. So four women. How many guys? Well, you had you had a number of other, probably twelve, thirteen guys, but you also had most of the children that were alive. Right. Eighty. You know, you look at eighty percent of the children that survived. Whereas a very small number of women survived that first winter, and of course they had to stay on the boat much longer. And the women didn't there. survive because they were protecting their children. They yeah, were... a lot of some of them were protecting their children. Some of them were giving away their food, certainly. But you know, when you when you look at this, you recognize of this the the travesty of that first winter. But now they're they're saying, how can we grow more corn? Uh, they the natives had were so friendly to them and so gracious to them, but they would not have known how to grow in this sandy soil. Their the seed corn they were brought from England wouldn't work. So now they are working together, and they're realizing, gee, how can we do this? And so Bradford says, let's set every man. Uh, their own property in particular. Okay, now so, hang on just a second, yeah. because that was against the compact, not their compact, but no. the charge of the people who helped Financiers. pay for it. Right? Remember, it was like a stock company. So um, it was a joint stock company, but of course the, the people who are financing them, uh, they didn't believe anyone else would get profit, but they should. Right, right. Because <laughs> profit so, is just a survival. So right. they recognized so they were, that. They were, they were all just pooling all of their resources, putting it in the common house, and what people if i'm if i'm not mistaken what people mainly the young guys because you had some old guys that survived that were not uh, real healthy you had women then you had children then you got these 20 guys you know these 20 something guys who are like look i'm building all the houses i'm doing i'm chopping all the wood i'm doing all the work here right. and i don't get any more and what started to happen was these guys were saying you know what i'm sick today I exactly. can't make it today. And the bickering and the fighting, and Bradford even writes in his, his journal, he said, even amongst the most godly, because there's a, and he said, like, we're, we're going against the order of God. In other words, if you don't have the right structure, now, you could look at it in reverse. They changed that structure. They now are producing for themselves. They begin to produce immediately double the acreage. Then they triple the acreage in the next three years. They go up to 180 acres in no time. So now they're being very productive. And now they recognized that they said, well, the God began to blast this. They were successful, and they forgot God. He, Bradford said, no, we have to go back to prayer to ask God. So here's these people that say, no, we can't just believe in God and then have the wrong structure. That's not going to work. But we can't just have the right structure and then pride ourselves that it's mm-hmm. all because of us. So you have these individuals that are doing this, and you, even a conversion of Habamak, the Native American, takes place at that next Thanksgiving, 1623. So we're looking t- several years down the road. 
And this is what makes this group unique. They're thinking for themselves. They're pioneering ideas. This is this is the is this the first real free market? Yes, we would call that yeah a free market economy because you actually had a people able to set their prices eventually without the control of government. In fact, they could have a business outside the palisade walls. So that was a kind of a symbol outside the control of the government in the sense of setting wages and prices. And that's where they had a free market trading post in 1627 down in the town of Bourne, the Abtuxet Trading Post. Phenomenal place, recreated on the original foundation. And here where they're trading with the Dutch, the Native American, and the Pilgrim. And they're using wampum shells for currency. I use this for teaching economics to high school students. You can use it. And here they're using wampum shells, different colors. And the Native will get wealthier because they can catch the quahogs a lot easier than the English can and a lot faster than the Dutch. And so these, this I, is the germ. I'm going to pretend that I don't know what a quahog is and how fast they run. Uh, they don't run. They're in the ocean. Uh -huh. So you, you are going barefoot in the slime and the muck, and you're, you know, you're going in and trying to pull those little shells out. They're like clamshells. Okay. And then you have to shave off those, those shells into beads, uh, which the natives were much better at. Than, uh, mm. And so you can come in with the beads. You don't have to do just bartering. And you have a free market. A mm. free market economy birthed right here in the wilderness because they're reasoning from the scriptures and from the Bible. But it's, it's beyond that because what makes this different is, again, it's the family. That's correct. It, they based it on don't tell anyone else what to do. I'm here because I want my family to be strong, right? right that's right. And, and that's kind of what we missed. That's and it's, right. it's amazing when you hear people talk about Thanksgiving. Um, in fact, the owner of this house was, I think she was the one who said it to me yesterday, is that this is, when you talk about Thanksgiving, everyone says, oh, it's my favorite. I don't have to go out the store and buy anything. You know, we just, we cook. But then we're just together as a family that, that this is supposed to remind us about family right. and what makes us a family and what brings the family together. If you take Thanksgiving today and even Thanksgiving in Lincoln's time when it made, became a national holiday and Washington's uh, Thanksgiving proclamation at the mm -hmm. end of the revolution uh, while he was president, and you can trace it back. A lot of things have changed. Of course, most people illustrated, they say, well, the original Harvest Festival in 1621, probably in the month of October, where 90 braves come, as Edward Winslow writes, and you have only 51 mm -hmm. pilgrims left, and you have, um, and they, they bring the deer, the natives brought most of the food, uh, because, and all of that took place. We don't know who invited whom, we don't know how it all happened, but we, there's a record that it happened. Now, they say, well, what of what? That, that's only a dim view of today. Well, you look, look at several characteristics that are still. They had wrestling matches. They had shooting matches. Mm -hmm. There were athletics involved in that first Thanksgiving, mm -hmm. that first harvest festival, probably patterned after the Feast of Tabernacles from the pilgrim's perspective, mm -hmm. uh, which was called the ingathering or the Feast of Thanksgiving in the Old Testament. Well, you have that. You have three days of feasting. You have athletic contests. You have friendly relations. It's a multicultural event. I mean, come on. That is Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. That is the heritage we have in America. Uh, yes, it goes through all kinds of transformations over the years, uh, and it's not but started initially. At, but when we're at our best, mm -hmm. we remember the original. That's right. You know, George Washington, Abraham Lincoln. 
when we're at our best, when we are about to heal ourselves, uh, we remember the first one. Right, because, you know, every event in history is going to have some negative because you have people. And every event in history can be positive when we remember those things that advance choice, religious and civil liberty, and the rule of law, all those things. So when you look at the Pilgrim story, you see this composite. Of course, they're not perfect, and no one's saying they were. But at the same time, we look at it and say there are some positive things that we can emulate. And think of today. I look at these characteristics and I say, today, what do we need? We need people going to their neighbor. It doesn't matter what their background is, what their political stripe is, and learning to love and serve people. And that's why we love doing what we do here in Plymouth. We want to serve people and bless them. So talk to me about the event that's happening this summer. And as you will find out later, um, this event is going to play a very big role in something that we're putting together that I will be announcing uh, shortly in the next few days. Uh, what, what, uh, you can go to the website, plymrock.org, Plymouth Rock Foundation, and it's you can go pl- to the events. Plim, so you know, Plymrock. Plymrock. Uh, org. And you can go and under the events page, you can see the event for 2020 shaping up. Three organizations are helping us put this on. Pilgrim Progress, which reenacts the Pilgrims going to church. The Leiden Preservation Group, which is right here. And also Jenny Museum, who you had mm-hmm. Leo on as well. And here we are attempting to... Uh, bring to the forefront the faith of the pilgrims which brought them here, the significance of the pilgrim story. They came as families. They came as a church plant. Uh, they are unique. They have all these firsts. We're going to have historians in town, uh, workshops to attend, tours, walking tours of Plymouth on a regular basis. It's all a kinds beautiful of, town. And, and not only that, but you have, we have key events. We're going to reenact a pilgrim church service, sing the actual psalms, I'm going to actually articulate John Robinson's farewell sermon to the pilgrims. Weren't you actually down at Plymouth Rock? Aren't you the one that was arrested, was taken away? You were reading. Uh... I actually wasn't arrested, but what happened was years ago, back in the 70s, yeah. I was dressed as a, uh, a pilgrim and I was reading from William Bradford. And someone heard it and uh, was upset that I was talking about God on state property. And uh, so I wasn't arrested, but, but you were it is taken, funny. You were picked but up I by was, the police. I, I was not. But what happened is oh. they said, you better go to the police station. So I went over because I wasn't on my own property. And so, yeah, that. it's a kind of a funny story. I walk in dressed as a pilgrim. They knew me. They just said, oh, what are you up to now? Yeah. And stuff. And, and it ended pretty quickly. But the, the idea is any town you can go into in America, usually the town does not even appreciate its own history. It takes time here. for that. You can go anywhere in America. Yeah. It, it, tourists come in because they yeah. want to hear the history. Yeah. But if you live there, that doesn't happen. Yeah. So over the years, we've seen a greater appreciation for the pilgrims come. We, we give the credit to God, not us. But we, we came wanting to serve. We said, why don't we um, – we inherited a parade that was already going on, the Thanksgiving parade. But as we increased its uh, awareness of the pilgrims, of, of areas, and served the town, uh, the town began to appreciate more more what's happening and it is such a uh, a wonderful thing so you have the event next year june 28 to 30 you can go on the website and learn about that but you can go to america's hometown thanksgiving separately incorporated now america's hometown thanksgiving celebration usa thanksgiving dot com and you can go on that and you can see this event coming up next Saturday. You saw the floats behind oh the scenes. Oh, my gosh, yeah. And the guys who are making it. And yes. I hope to have Ollie stop by before I leave. But uh, it's an amazing thing. And uh, hopefully, I'm trying to convince the Blaze to uh, come up and broadcast maybe next year. Because my family has been watching the Macy's Day Parade. We used to, when we lived sure. in New York, we would go to it. Yeah. And we loved it. 
but it is becoming i don't even know what it is anymore you know it's 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 just not but you know i could i could tell your listeners some people around america as i travel around and i i get across america quite a bit speaking about these things not just the pilgrims but america's godly heritage and i and i look at this most people are saying gee what can i invest in what what could i do i mean it is amazing when you look at this parade how large it is and what it is and yet how small the budget is, but how much meat is still it's needed. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. A small number of people. Either of those websites, yeah. plimrock.org or usathanksgiving.com, you could go on there. There's places to donate. You could even, if you're in the New England area, come down, volunteer. Come help, yeah. Uh, it's, it's really worth it. Go to plimrock.org and just, and just remember that address. If you can help, it would be great. You will not regret it. You'll not regret it. Paul, thank you so much. Thank you. So I don't know about you, but uh, there are times that I just want a guide. I just I, I need some help, you know, uh, and for Thanksgiving, you you kind of try, try to tell the story, but you need a tradition. That's the thing I love about uh, the Jewish Sabbath is everything is traditional. It, it, it you know what story to tell uh, to keep that going. Uh, how do we do that with Thanksgiving? Uh, there is a, a website I want you to go to right now. There's a little booklet on there that you can you can uh, order it. Just it's a PDF file, and you'll be able to know exactly the stories to tell. It's very brief, very short. It's great. The Thanksgiving kit. You'll find it at four hundredth dot org four hundred four zero zero th dot org four hundredth dot org. Go there now. You're listening to Glenn Beck.